Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hengeli. Today, we have the opportunity to speak with Jordan Sperber. Jordan is a former college basketball video coordinator and current owner of Hoop Vision LLC. Jordan, Sam and I appreciate the time today. Yes, yeah, Stephen, Sam, thank you both uh, for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. For sure. So really to start, I am curious, as I mentioned in the intro, you are the owner of Hoop Vision LLC. For those who don't know, if you want to provide our audience what that is and you know what you do. I think LLC just makes it sound fancier than it is maybe, but uh, Hoop Vision is actually the, the name of my kind of brand or at this point is a company, but at the time it was more just a, a brand. I started when I was in high school. So I think in 2010, I started a blog that was Hoop Vision. And at the time I didn't really have uh, aspirations to make money off of it, more just as a hobby, uh, someone who really liked basketball and then potentially to like get my name out there to get jobs when I was in college or graduating college but in its current form it's a media and consulting uh, basketball media and consulting business the the public facing stuff is a YouTube channel a Twitter account a newsletter where the the little tagline for for hoop vision is is uh, to help you watch the game smarter um, so X's and O's analytics, whatever uh, whatever ways to help my audience kind of watch the game smarter. So your YouTube channel is called Hoop Vision 68. It is over 76,000 subscribers, an enormous <laughs> platform that you've been able to grow. Did you ever think that it, your YouTube channel would reach that large of an audience? That's a good question. Uh, I guess it's tough because initially YouTube wasn't quite as big of, of, of my business. So I have a college basketball newsletter that has been sort of my main thing for a couple of years now. And YouTube was more of my like guilty pleasure, like that. I, I really like making YouTube videos. It's probably my favorite thing to do of, of any of the hoop vision stuff, but until recently it wasn't as big of a part of the business. So to answer your question, I guess, no, I didn't think that our, yes and no. I didn't think I'd ever put enough time into it to get it to where it is, you know, just prioritizing other things. Um, but I always did in the back of my mind think if I did put time into it, I might be able to figure some things out. And uh, yeah, I think this past month, June, was the biggest uh, subscriber month that I've had on, on YouTube. I don't know what it wound up like eight or 9,000 subscribers. Um, in, in just that month. So it's pretty exciting to see it growing. I'm not sure, may, maybe your audience knows you get a plaque when you get to 100,000. So I'm, I, I want that plaque pretty bad. <laughs> or do you plan on putting your plaque when you get it? Good question. I like, I don't really have an office right now. If I did have an office where I, uh, where I worked out of, it would definitely be in on the wall in that office for sure. But that's, a, that's to be determined, I guess. Relating to your YouTube channel, I am curious. You did post a video that was very long and you titled it, I watched an NBA game from every decade. And I believe it's 30 minutes long. Talk about that experience, literally watching 
a game from every decade? And then how long did it take you to watch the games and put the whole video together? Uh, so that's uh, the the reason why that my channel has been growing quite a bit is that video. I think it just it just passed five hundred thousand views today, which it's only been about a month since it's been up. So that's pretty good. That process took a long time. I'm a slow worker in general, so I things just take me along. If you looking at my YouTube channel, you can realize that because I'm not the most frequent uploader in the world. Think things take me a long time to do, um, but the um behind the scenes for that video is you have to find games i use youtube to find games from the 50s games from the 60s games from the 70s and my number one goal was to find games that had good video quality or as good a video quality as possible you don't want like you know there's some pretty crappy um footage up on youtube of games from like the 70s that it's hard to see what's happening in the game or who has the ball kind of thing um so i was looking for for that i was looking to get as many like superstars or hall of fame players in the video as possible it takes longer than you would think the the watching process is eight games so it's not an insane amount of games to watch uh but for each game I usually like watch the first half of the game um, without taking any notes or anything. I, I watch the first half just to like, I don't even know, get, get used to what I'm seeing. Then I go back and I watch it again, this time taking notes and clipping things. And, and so that, that process probably takes about a day for, for just for one game. Uh, but then you have all these notes and all these different clips and you have to, start moving them together and combining them together into different themes and basically organizing. So now you're looking at three or four days for, for one game. And then you have to do the next game to making a YouTube video. You record the voiceover, you do editing. There's quite a bit. So when all was said and done, it definitely took over a month. It probably took closer to two months that that video. Um, and it, it is a long one. But fortunately, I think the YouTube algorithm likes long videos. So that's part of the reason why it's doing well. Hopefully, the computer that you're working on has a really solid, deep, extensive hard drive. But uh, <laughs> for maybe the listeners who are listening to this on our podcast form, what did you find the most interesting when you were looking through the different films and when you were putting this together? And what's like the biggest gist of how basketball has changed and evolved over the different mm. decades? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess the thing that I found most interesting, I focused on it in the 80s. I think it was 1985, Celtics and Lakers. In the 80s, and this is around that time, so 70s, 80s, 90s, a lot of people talk about the hand-checking rules. And you basically, you could impede ball handlers when you're playing defense putting like a full arm on a player who was driving to the basket and while that's true that you could do that and you were less likely to get called for a foul than you are nowadays it's sort of not really that relevant to the game at that time because no one was no one was pressuring the i shouldn't say no one but the vast majority of of what i saw was teams weren't pressuring the ball they were sagging off of on ball players so the that Celtics Lakers game I, I mentioned in that game there were really good post players there was Kareem and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish and all these good post players and what the Celtics and Lakers were doing were essentially sagging off of the ball 
and guarding the post with the guy who should have been guarding the ball. So like guarding two players, guarding the post. And so there's so much that gets said about hand checking, but there wasn't really that much aggressive one-on-one defense. If you wanted to, yeah, the rules were, were different, but I'm actually going back and trying to find some examples of, to see more of the hand checking stuff um, where the sagging was not happening. Um, but that was, that was the, the biggest thing that I found, I guess the most interesting thing about on-ball defense, I guess. Very interesting. Um, I do have a little question here. You did work as a video coordinator for Mm -hmm. New Mexico State men's basketball program for a few years. Can you talk about a little bit of that and maybe how that helped you into the role that you have now? Yeah. Um, So I, I was a graduate assistant at University of Nevada for a year and then video coordinator for two years at New Mexico State, like you mentioned. Uh, I was hired in in both cases, kind of first and foremost for analytics and for for data work, and I certainly did that with with those teams. But in each successive year that I worked um, in, in college basketball, I got more involved in X's and O's and scouting and more traditional coaching stuff, basically. So on one hand, I had an analytics background and I was definitely doing that stuff, but I got to expands my role each year uh and you know was essentially a traditional a a traditional part of the coaching staff at at new mexico state and got to learn from people uh my my boss at new mexico state chris jans who's now uh the head coach at mississippi state you know got to learn from him and his x's and o's knowledge and um definitely helped me uh with what i'm doing now um with with the hoop vision stuff, particularly on the X's and O's side. Yeah. So speaking of X's and O's, I do have a couple questions related to kind of the analytics of the game. Recently, the Minnesota Timberwolves were involved in a really big blockbuster deal that landed them Rudy Gobert, and they sent a lot of draft picks, four draft picks, pick swaps. And I really want to get your thoughts on how the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be operating now with the two big lineup with mm. Ruby Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, very different players. Carl Anthony Towns, their best offensive player. He's more skilled offensively where you get Rudy Gobert, who's much more skilled defensively, three-time defensive player of the year. But in the past, when we've seen the playoffs, Gobert has been a little exposed. So I am curious just to see what your thoughts on that dynamic is going to be. That's a good question. Um, to be honest with you, uh, so I, I do a lot of college basketball stuff and I, I watch a lot of playoff basketball or NBA playoff basketball. Um, but I don't watch a ton of regular season NBA and a team like the Timberwolves. I haven't, I didn't see much this past year. So obviously I know Carl Anthony towns well, but I, I don't think I necessarily have the best answer for, for how that will be. I think the biggest question mark uh, to me is playing them together defensively. Obviously, Rudy Gobert is one of the best rim protectors in the NBA, but now Towns will have to guard fours, you know, and potentially quicker guys. So there, there's both sides of the of defensively and offensively. But uh, 
to compare it to college basketball, there are certainly a lot of teams that are still playing two traditional bigs at the college level um, and, and succeeding. There's not as many playing two traditional bigs in the NBA and towns is a really good three point shooter. I know I've, I've, I've seen people say that he's like potentially the best shooting big of all time or three point shooting big of all time. So I think that it was probably a risk worth, worth taking for the Timberwolves uh, needing to kind of up their ceiling now. Um, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it happens, how it plays out. Yo, there are many events coming up in the world of sports. It'd be great to be in attendance for such. Where can we get tickets? SeatGeek. You see, SeatGeek is an app that can help you find the best seats with the best deals. SeatGeek shows you different tickets available with green being the best deals and red not being the hot deals. The best part is it shows you where you'll be sitting at the event. If you use the code SPORTSMECCA, you could get $20 off your first purchase. Get your seat at SeatGeek today. Uh, Jordan, I want to talk about uh, last college basketball season. Uh, North Carolina gets blown out by Duke in the, in the meeting in Chapel Hill, but then spoil Coach K's retirement his final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, beating them by 13. And then at the Final Four, which I was uh, attending this year, the uh, Tar Heels beat the Duke Blue Devils that ended Coach K's uh, coaching career. What was the key for Hubert Davis and uh, North Carolina to take down Duke and finish as the national runner-up? That was a really, really fun game to watch. Both of those teams really uh, were really good offensively at the um, end of the season. I think Duke finished as the number one adjusted offensive efficiency team in the country on, on Kempom. And Carolina as well had a really good uh, offensive tournament. They shortened their bench quite a bit in, in March, which seemed to uh, behoove them. I, I wrote about this a, a couple months ago, but it's something that we've seen from some Final Four contenders is going to a shorter bench. There's a lot of people will talk about the uh, depth in, in March and the need to have a bench. Actually, especially in, in the NCAA tournament environment, there's some evidence that, that teams with shorter benches have, have played really well um, in, in the tournament. And it's not so much that you don't want to have a good bench, but it's giving Caleb Love more minutes than he normally plays or giving Armando Baycott more minutes than, than they normally play in um, the regular season. But as for Hubert Davis as a whole in, in, uh, in year one at Carolina, they were significantly different from the Roy Williams Carolina teams who played two bigs and they ran the Carolina break. Uh, Hubert Davis really opened things up with ball screens and floor spacing, probably to a, a greater extent than I expected going into the season. He was he was his own coach. He wasn't Roy Williams 2.0 by any means. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what he does in year two as well. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so I want to talk now. I'll talk about me and Steven's uh, favorite team, the Kansas Jayhawks and the uh, defending mm-hmm. national champs. Bill Self got a second title this season. Uh, Many people believe during the year, uh, Jay Bill has said it multiple times, that this wasn't Bill Self's most talented team. How did KU win the title? And will we look back years from now and realize that this team was more talented than many of us thought? 
That second part is a good question. I, I think Christian Brown's a guy who I think went underrated, like talent wise. Uh, curious to see how he, he does at the next level. I feel like Abaji was certainly recognized as being one of the most talented players in the country, which, you know, he was. I don't know that I, I think we could pretend depending on how some of these guys NBA career shakes out. Uh, David McCormick is an interesting one because he uh, Bill Self kind of st- stuck with him throughout his career, despite some ups and downs. I know I, just based off of Twitter, at least the fan base wasn't always so high on David McCormick. I don't know. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, it was like it was a roller coaster. A roller coaster. Yeah. Call it the Dave, David McCormick experience sometimes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, I certainly would. He was he he led Kansas in usage rate, which is just like the volume, how, your offensive volume. So 26% of, of Kansas possessions ended with David McCormick taking a shot or turning the ball over, which is the highest on KU. And if you had told me that a team with David McCormick leading you in usage rate would win the national title, I would have been a little bit skeptical. Not, not to say that he's a bad player, but like to be your highest usage guy, that would have been a surprise to me. And to a certain degree, there's there's some good fortune that goes in for any team winning the NCAA tournament, right? There's so, uh, but they were clearly, you know, one of the one of the be- one of the five best teams in the country last year. And yeah, I'll be interested interested to see how um, Abaji and Brown do at the next level for sure. Uh, absolutely, and I think another thing for KU during that run was the merchants of Remy Martin being injured all year, like didn't like sure. blend in, and then all of a sudden, Big Twelve tournament plays really well, and then carries that over to the tournament. And I think having that guy come off the bench who can just like get you some points when you when uh, when the offense is stalling it was very critical too, and especially in the Creighton and Providence game, and then yep. the title game too. That that's a a very good point as to why they might have exceeded expectations, you know, the second half of the year or or really in just in March in general, not having him he what he was hurt right earlier in the year. Yeah, he had a knee injury. Yeah. I want to talk about uh the uh another uh blue blood uh Kentucky. John Calipari hasn't won a tournament game since uh 2019. I believe he hasn't been the same since going 38 and one in 2015. Since then, he's lost in a round of 32 as a, they were a four or five seed that year. Uh, lost in the Elite Eight at the buzzer in 2017. And then 2018, they lost to a K State team without their best player, Dean Wade. And then lost to uh, Auburn in the Elite Eight when Auburn was a five seed. And then uh, missed the tournament in 21 and then lost to St. Peter's in the first round. What is going on with Kentucky and uh, John Calipari? And what, uh, what has happened to the uh, success uh, that Kentucky's had in March? Yeah, I mean, they definitely uh, haven't had the teams that they did, uh, you know, when they had even the team that didn't win at all, but went 38 and one. That was prob- probably his second best team. Maybe the Anthony Davis team was better. They definitely haven't had that level of talent. I do think that they were good last year and they should be good again, again, next year. 
it's tough to say what what you know it's it's a combination of some some uh bad luck in march you know they did lose to st peter's in overtime the ball bounces another way they then they play murray state in the next round who you know they could easily wind up in the sweet 16 it's a different story but they also haven't just have not had a lot of shooting in the in the past few years this year they were 351st in the country at at a three point attempt rate they don't take a lot of threes now they mitigate that by killing you on the offensive uh, offensive glass that's been uh, the calling card for Kentucky they always have a lot of size they're always really good on the offensive glass but you know if there's a, if there's a particular uh spot that they've struggled with over the years it's been shooting the ball and it'll be interesting to see how they stack up this year. Obviously, they got Oscar Sheebway back, who's likely the preseason National Player of the Year candidate. Yeah, I'd say a combination of some some roster flaws combined with some bad luck. It's it's the two of them, the two of them. Absolutely. And speaking of uh, the team that uh, John Calipari lost to, uh, St. Peter's, uh, and mm-hmm. particularly Shaheen Holloway. Uh, Shaheen Holloway runs a twist series that you made a video about. Can you explain what, what, what that offense is? And then you also could see uh, Shaheen Holloway uh, being the face of the Big East Conference. Yeah. Uh, so the twist series is one of many different set plays that, that uh, St. Peter's runs. There's just certain teams or in this, like certain coaches that run stuff that make other coaches, that get other coaches really excited. And St. Peter's, you know, he's like, what's the the term? Your, your, your favorite coach's favorite coach kind of, you know, I've, I've heard that about rappers, your favorite rapper's favorite rapper, a basketball enthusiast, a basketball nerd can really appreciate some of the stuff that St. Peter's runs. So I remember when, when they went, I did a video on them, as you mentioned, after the, the Kentucky and Murray state wins. And I had to keep telling myself like their offense was ranked pretty poorly last year, but it, they, they're very fun to watch. So it's like, who cares what their rank statistically that they're very fun to watch. I, I see no reason why that, uh, that style of play shouldn't work in the big East, but you also have to get some players, you know, not, it's definitely not just a X's and O's or scheme thing in college basketball. You, you got to go out and recruit too. So that, that'll be kind of uh, a, a big part of Shaheen Holloway's success at, at Seton hall, but I'm excited to, uh, to see what happens. I want to kind of go back to like a little bit about North Carolina's run. Um, they were an eight seed that made it to the national title game. We're seeing the whole transfer portal thing, guys, like coming in. It takes a little bit of time for all those guys to gel in and uh, buy in and figure out what the coach uh, in the program that they transferred to wants in their system. Could you see Could you see this being like a normal thing that we see like a six seed or, a, or worse make a deep tournament run because they kind of struggle to gel in the regular season, but then be, being able to peak at the right time in March? I think that's a good thought. Um, it will, it, it probably will be hard to prove one way or another until we get a larger sample size. Now transferring is so uh, prevalent in college basketball. We probably need a few tournaments before we can say for sure what's, what's going to happen there or probably more than a few tournaments, but yeah, uh, 
there's more roster turnover in in a given year. Another interesting question about UNC: the year before it was UCLA. Yeah, uh, I can't remember what seed UCLA was the year 11. before, but and and they made the final four. Um, from the play-ins yeah exactly uh oh yeah yeah um it's interesting to think about with those teams if ucla or if unc in last year and the year before had lost early in the ncaa tournament the following year like now unc has a pretty good roster coming back and are thought of as a top five team well if they don't make that run in the ncaa tournament they wouldn't have been there wouldn't be in the top five conversation right now. That same type of thing happened with UCLA, who ended up having a good year, followed it up with a good year. It didn't advance as far as they wanted to in, in the NCAA tournament. But that's, I, that's something that a lot of people are debating right now is how predictive is the NCAA tournament run on the following season with, with UNC? I don't have a great answer for it. And I think that UNC is going to be good. But yeah, I think college basketball media certainly loves to take that team that made the final four unexpectedly and pick them very high in the, in the next season. And probably for good reason. Yeah. I'll say about with UCLA, I, I saw, I remember they were ranked number two in the country in the preseason. Yep. I'm like, there's no way that that team is going to be like a one, two or three seed in my opinion. And then they ended up being a four seed. I, 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 I like, I had them in my final four because I liked what they were, what, uh, well, how they were playing throughout the year. And I thought they could like make it again. And when uh, UNC beat Baylor, they had a really good path. And then, but the UNC was able to peak at the right time and just too much fire, firepower on offense. But I do like UNC a lot. I think they got a lot. They obviously got like pretty much everybody coming back and I think they're going to be on top of the ACC next year. Who just committed to them? They got a they got a transfer that I like it's from Northwestern. Uh, I believe. Oh, uh, Pete Nance. Pete Nance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like him. Yeah. How does he uh, fit in uh, replacing uh, Brady Manick? He is not the three point shooter that Brady Manick was, but he, he's skill. He's as skilled. He's a really good passer. Uh, he's about the same size ish as as Manick. So he's a different player, but. Uh, I mean, he's one of the best transfers probably on the market, in in my opinion. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they use him. He He's a good passer for his size. Yeah, I want to talk about last year, uh, many uh, new coaches for new programs uh, had their first year example, Porter Moser at Oklahoma, Mike Woodson at Indiana. Who's a guy in their second year is going to like make like a significant impact? Like who's going to make that leap for that program in their in year two in your mind? I'd have to look at a list of second year coaches, but you mentioned Porter Moser and I do, I I'm pretty high on him. Um, I did a video on Loyola Chicago, his last year there from a, just a straight up scheme or X's and O's perspective. They're, they're a lot of fun, both offensively and defensively. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I, you know, who knows if we'll be next year, but I think he's going to win plenty at Oklahoma. So yeah, I, I like him um, for sure. Absolutely. I want to talk about uh, Texas and Texas Tech. Uh, Chris Beard left Texas Tech for Texas and then his assistant, Mark Adams, took over the program. There's this thought, I think one of your videos, you talked about Texas Tech defense when Beard was there and you said that, uh, 
Mark Adams was the uh, orchestrator of that defense. Yeah. Do you think Texas Tech will be better off with Mark Adams than they would with Chris Beard because they still have that defensive scheme set? And you think like Chris Beard like won't be as successful without Mark Adams being there helping him with that defense? I mean, if uh, Mark Adams didn't get hired at Texas Tech, he was going to go with Beard to Texas. That was, you know, they waited to see if he got hired at at, uh, at Texas Tech first. So it was definitely a big loss. And I think that if you polled college basketball coaches on who's the best defensive mind in the country, I bet you Tony Bennett would be number one and Mark Adams would be number two probably right now. So for sure, uh, it's it's a... Uh, uh, a big loss. Um, but that being said, Texas last year was still very good defensively. I think they struggled more on the offensive side of the ball and they, they grabbed a bunch of transfers and I feel like the pieces didn't fit very well for them last year, even though they did have some talent, but yeah, I mean, I think that both teams and both programs are, are going to be just fine and, and they're both going to be good defensive teams. Uh, but I wouldn't bet against a Mark Adams defensive team. That's for sure. He's consistently put up or produced really good defenses. Were they number one on Ken Palm to close out the year on defense or did Houston pass them? I forget. They finished number one. Yep. Do you see like the loss of like Kevin McCullers being a major impact on that defense? Yeah. Uh, They lost quite a bit with uh, McCuller and Bryson Williams is gone. I'm pretty sure Kevin O'Banner is back for them and he's not like the best defensive. He's, he's a very good offensive player. Actually. He's not the best um, defensive big. He was at Oral Roberts previously the year Oral Roberts made that run in the NCAA tournament, Kevin O'Banner. So, but to me, it's almost, it's, it's, it's interesting to see a Mark Adams team that doesn't have as much defensive talent to see them still be good and still be strong defensively. Nevertheless, but yeah, McCuller McCuller is definitely a, a big loss for them. Yeah. Speaking of uh, McCuller transferring, we want to talk about the transfer portal and some of the guys that, uh, that I uh, left and joined another program. Uh, who do you see making the most impact for their new team uh, this year? We talked about Pete Nance. Uh, let me, oh, I really like Matthew Meyer, uh, who transferred from, from Baylor. I thought he was one of the best, um, players on, on the market. Who else? Do you have anyone in mind? How would, how does, uh, Kevin McCuller fit into KU and Bill Self's, uh, style? I think that he fits well. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's always, uh, interesting to see a transfer go from, um, one conference opponent to another. I'm sure that uh, he's going to be uh, not treated warmly when he goes to Texas Tech next year. That'll, that'll be a fun game. Um, but I do, I think that he should be a really good, I mean, he's already proven that he's a big, a really good big 12 player. So there's not too many question marks there. Absolutely. And I think one thing I noticed with Texas Tech last year is that they kind of rotated guys in and out a lot more. I think McCuller didn't play, get as much playing time last year as like a lot of people did because of the way Mark Adams kind of like interchanges players, like kind of like in hockey, like changing lines a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think to, like being a KU fan, 
Bill Self really loves like defensive players, guys who are like defensive minded. Marcus Garrett played a lot of minutes. Obviously, Dewan Harris yep. played a lot. So I could definitely see McCuller being a guy who plays like 35 plus minutes on average and has some 40 minute games because he's just so valuable on a defensive end and also has like that senior leadership as well. Yeah, when you said when you said that about Bill Self, the first person that came to mind was Dewan Harris l- last year. Definitely, that was like his guy. When push c- came to shove, Remy Martin did get some more time over him yeah. eventually. Eventually, but but yeah, I would expect McCullers' minutes to go up for sure. That that makes sense, and I guess the probably the logic behind the Mark Adams style of of substitutions is he wants guys fresh that are going to play D you can win both ways though I, I don't think that there's a right or wrong way of doing it a shorter bench work for Kansas last year and a longer bench work for Texas Tech last year yeah absolutely different ways to uh, win basketball games and then I want to talk about the uh, current head coaching hires the new hires that will be coming in uh, next season which mm-hmm. one was your favorite hire and then what was a hire that made your uh, head scratch my favorite hire, um, let me see. There was Jerome Tang, regular yep. assistant that went to Kansas State. He's been able to hit the recruiting trail hard and get a lot of guys, um, some from the transfer portal, some recruits. Todd Golden, um, Florida's one. Yep, yep. I guess I would be biased on that, on uh, Todd Golden, because I do know Todd. He's been a guest on my podcast before. Uh, I know their staff really well. Uh, so I'm excited to see them. He's, he's very analytics friendly, uh, Todd Golden. They, they uh, make decisions in their program a lot based on data, data-driven decision-making. So I, I was excited to see that one. Also, my former boss, who I, who I mentioned, Chris Jans, being hired by Mississippi State, uh, th- those are two that I'm kind of biased on. I, I, I guess another one that comes to mind now, this, this isn't a personal bias. I just think it was a really good hire was Sean Miller at, at Xavier. Obviously he, uh, has had NCAA violation issues that kind of forced him out at air or the threat of violations that forced him out at Arizona. Uh, but I do think that he's a really good coach, maybe, maybe the best active coach that hasn't been to a final four. I think he might have that, that distinction. Yeah. I think that he's going to uh, do really well in the big East. Ironically, uh, this is being recorded the, uh, the day that Deandre Ayton ended up uh, <laughs> with the Phoenix suns after uh, the suns matched the offer. Uh, Sean Miller, the bag man that brought Deandre Ayton to Arizona. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think I think my personal favorite, I think Shaheen Holloway going back to his alma mater, incredible fit. I think Seton Hall's got a really great coach coming in and couldn't have been more excited to be like a fan of seeing all you see your former player be really successful in the NCAA tournament and then for him to like come to your uh, school the for the next season. I think that's very great for Seton Hall. I think He'll do. A, he'll bring the program to places that Seton Hall hasn't been since uh, PJ Carlissimo days. Yeah, uh, we talked about him a little bit earlier, but I'm uh, I'm definitely excited to see Seton Hall this year. 
got a little bit of an early prediction. I know it's uh, July football season as it's starting, <laughs> but I'm very excited about another college basketball season. If I had to give you, I'll give you two teams and then mm-hmm. the field. Uh, who, do you, who do you got, North Carolina, Gonzaga, or the field? I think that the right answer here is the field. Just playing the numbers. You know, I think that the right answer is the field. Yeah. Going into the NCAA tournament, the favorite in, in a given NCAA tournament is only only has like a like a 20 to 30 percent chance of winning winning it all. Right. And that's that's knowing that they're the best team in the country after a full season of play. Right now, we think that Gonzaga and North Carolina are one of the, are, but we don't really know at this point. So I think that the smart answer would be to pick the field. That being said, I do like both of those teams. I think that Gonzaga is going to be really, really good. We haven't talked about them at all. We obviously we talked about North Carolina quite a bit, but but uh, yeah, I am high on Gonzaga, but I'd still take the field if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, with Gonzaga. So, do you think like some of their like uh, them coming up short, like in twenty one and then last year in the Sweet Sixteen? Do you think? The, one of the reasons is uh, a major player is because they're not playing, their conference isn't as strong and they're not really playing a top competition all year besides non-conference play. Do you think that has some factors in it? You know, I really don't. Uh, it's particularly in 2021. So the year with no fans, I guess, well, the NCAA tournament with no fans, they won five games in the NCAA tournament before losing to Baylor. Right. So it's not like the, the WCC play prevent or, you know, hurt them. They, they had five games and then they ran into a really good Baylor team and just didn't play one of their better games of the year. Gonzaga last year's team legitimately did struggle though. In, in March, they lost to Arkansas. I can't off the top of my head, remember who they played uh, before that, but they weren't great Memphis. in those. Me- yeah, Memphis. They weren't great in uh, in any of their NCAA tournament games. You know, they were underwhelming, uh, and so uh, why that is is hard to say. But the amount of success that, if you go back to the Karnowski and Nigel Williams Goss team that um, lost to North Carolina in the finals too i mean they've had a lot of success in march they just haven't won the championship i wouldn't necessarily attribute that to, to wcc play but it's always going to be talked about until they win it all <laughs> that's for yeah. sure yeah. Right. speaking of gonzaga you know you sam asked you the question about the conference do you feel like maybe there is either a way that mark few recruits players or or just plays a style that is preventing them from winning the whole thing. I know the NCAA tournament can be or is a luck-based type of tournament where you have one bad night and you lose. But the past few years, Mark Few has really installed an offense. It's been focused on precision and cutting. But then once they play teams that are very physical and you saw it with Baylor, like they got pushed around with Mark Vidal. They had, didn't have an answer to stop Davion Mitchell and Arkansas's guards were able to take over. Is there just something that is in the game plan of Mark few that is preventing them from reaching the top? 
I think you sort of uh, hit it at the end there that they their their bigger problem has been defensively in in these past couple of tournaments more so than what they're doing offensively in the in the national championship game against Baylor Baylor put Drew Timmy in ball screens and made him guard in space and they really or he in particular Timmy really struggled that was a, a major area of concern for sure um, the Arkansas game was probably not as single foot like it, it came down to the ball screens in the national championship the arkansas game was probably a little bit more um multiple causes i don't necessarily think that you you mentioned precision in their offense they also play really fast they, they play a, a fast pace you know I don't, I don't think that that's the reason why that they're coming up short in march uh, necessarily but i could potentially buy a little bit of of guy, a guy like drew timmy his athleticism isn't as big of a his lack of athleticism isn't as big of a deal in the WCC as it is against higher level competition in March. I mean, you saw it in the game against Memphis. They won the game, but Memphis had a lot of length in that game that was really yeah. and they punished him. I mean, even with Holmgren and Drew Timmy, they had a lot of size. I believe it was Nolly. And Jalen Duran. I mean, they had so yep. much size that came at them, and it was tough. And to think, like Gonzaga. I mean, Drew Timmy's back for like the tenth year, but Chet Holmgren. <laughs> I mean, this is this was a generational guy. Many people believe he's going to be a really big star for Oklahoma City. Still couldn't get it done. So it is interesting to just see like the guys that they've been. I mean, even Jalen Suggs. Like they're getting the talent that's getting drafted high on the NBA draft, but it just seems like they just can't get over that hump. But who knows? Like eventually if you keep knocking on that door, you might be able to break through. Um, but I will have one thing to say. What is for people who have not watched Hoop Vision, your videos, not found you on social media, provide maybe your social media platforms that they can reach out to you, that they can yep. watch your content. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I am hoopvision68 on Twitter and, and YouTube, uh, which are, are my two biggest platforms, hoopvision68. And then I have a website that has my newsletter is hoopvision.substack.com. Yeah, uh, if depending on what your kind of social media platform of choice is, uh, if you are on Twitter, I tend to anything that I do, if I make a YouTube video or if I write a newsletter, I'll tweet it out from the Twitter account. So that's probably the the best way to stay up to date. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I appreciate you guys letting me plug that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I got one more question. Uh, oh yeah, sure. Do anyone out there that has got hoop dreams or any big ambition for whatever they want to accomplish in life? What advice would you give them? My advice would be, I think that there's a lot of value in just being able to uh, stay consistent. So I've been doing this for a long time. Like I mentioned in the beginning, first as a hobby, um, and then as a as a professor, as a job much later on. And it's, it's a skill to uh, be able to just kind of stick with it, <laughs> I think, and be consistent for... Uh, however many years um you're going to get better with 
with time and experience, you're going to get better at what you're doing, regardless of what it is. I've gotten better at making videos or at analyzing basketball, you know, but it's easy to uh, get bored or lose interest or whatever. Um, and so, you know, just being consistent would, would be my biggest piece of advice. Very good advice right there. So you're really the first um, guy who really puts it all together with videos and with podcasts. You do a really good job with your channel. Mm -hmm. Sam is a real big watcher of your uh, channel. He's a big supporter. So when nice. I learned a lot, learned a lot from it. He's really, he Thank gets you. really excited. He's like, oh man, we're going to get him on. So, um, but we really appreciate the time tonight for you to come on and talk about your growth as a, you know, content creator, as a video editor, and just your knowledge of basketball was really good. For sure. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, you guys were well-prepared. So uh, no problem. Thanks for having me guys. For those who are listening to our show for the first time, all our past and future episodes are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Sports Mecca.